This is a, a word that's been brewing in my spirit for some time. And um, sorry, before I do, yes, run along. You can leave if you want to. You guys want to go play? Oh, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> now is it, oh. <laughs> Who's having too much fun? <laughs> awesome. Um, I, uh, not to embarrass him, but Paul Tian was sitting next to me singing during that first song, which was new for all of us. Um, and it was great to just hear him sing. What was the, um, that, you're worth it all, yes. And uh, I was thinking, you know, I'm not sure he knows the full extent of that declaration, but I don't think I know it either. So we'll just sing it together, and uh, hopefully we'll get there, you know. So uh, that was pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> tonight, I, I want to continue with what we um, started with last week, um, talking about the redeemed life and... Um, Specifically, um, tonight I want to talk about um, the redeemed imagination. And um, like I said, this is something that's kind of been in my, my spirit and my heart for a while. And um, which means I have a lot of things to say, but I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm asking God to um, narrow that down. And uh, I, I specifically... Um, I, I really, more than anything, want him to um, give us together a vision for what this looks like for us as a, a community, as a, a people who've um, joined together here in this city. And I think it relates to um, some of what JP shared in the sense that um, <clears throat> anybody see the, the special, uh, I don't know if you would call it special really, but... Um, was it CNN did a cover of Baltimore recently? Anybody see that? You know what I'm talking about? War, National Geographic. War on Drugs is about Baltimore. Did anybody see it? It's just like this. Is it like this vicious rumor? You saw it? Okay. No, it was National Geographic. Yeah. Um, so it did happen. Because I read about it, and I was, like, waiting. I mean, I don't have a TV, so that's probably why I didn't see it. But um, they aired it. What were you feeling after that, not to put you on the spot? It didn't make you feel good about Baltimore? No, probably not, right? I mean, what I read about the whole thing was just, like, let's just smash how terrible Baltimore is and how rampant the drug culture is in the city and literally how there's no hope for that city. Yeah, so I read all I needed to read and knew, heard all I needed to hear just from the article that I read in The Sun about this um, special, again, not so special. Um, but in light of that, just thinking about um, how much we need uh, this, the redeemed imagination um, for our city, not just for our own lives, but for our city. And I really feel like... Um, as we were praying earlier today for this time, um, I really feel like, again, kind of a reminder that I mentioned last week that God has put us here not, not for ourselves, not for the um, g- 
good food and warm company, but he's put us in the city to be a part of changing it. Um, and I, I don't, I don't have any clue what the totality of that is, but I do know that it, it isn't going to happen until, um, we start to get a vision for how God sees Baltimore, um, until we start to, um, catch his heart for this place. And until we start to together begin to say, you know, things may be a certain way, but, um, they're not going to stay that way. And um, the past is really the past in a good way in, in regards to Baltimore, in regards to the city, in regards to um, the places we walk every day. And um, again, I, I don't know even where to begin in that, but I, I do want to talk about, okay, that's not true. I, I feel like I, I know where to begin in that, and I want to talk about that tonight. Um, I want to talk about the redeemed imagination, and um, many of you in this room might consider yourself uh, creative and imaginative people. Some of you might not. Um, it doesn't matter, uh, really, uh, whether you, what side of the fence you fall on in that. Um, but what I want to say tonight, really, more than anything, is that um, I believe part of this thing that God is doing in our midst requires that we have our minds renewed in a way where we begin to see things that aren't yet, and we begin to imagine with God what could be and what should be for our lives, for the people around us, for our city, for our world. And so I want to just um, really jump into that. If you um, weren't here last week, we started off um, looking at a text in Colossians 1, and um, really this amazing um, picture introduction of the gospel, Um, but talking about the work of the cross, what God has accomplished through the Son on the cross as this thing that really the scope of is all of humanity, it's all of creation, it's all things. And um, so we said last week that at the center of Jesus' work on the cross is the initiation of redemption, which is to buy back, and reconciliation, which is to restore to right relationship. So God is has, through His Son, initiated this Redemption and reconciliation of all things. And that um, for us as his people that we need to begin to get a vision of that and begin to embrace what that looks like here and now. Um, just a little snippet from that passage. I'm going to read it out of the message. Um, I really like sort of the way it articul- articulates it. Um, from beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. And we said last week that there's no one or no thing Um, based on what God has shown us through the Son, that there's no one or no thing that um, God isn't desiring to work and redeem in their lives and uh, in our world. And the realization of this um, leads us to realize that there's nothing too small, there's nothing too big, and there's nothing um, too far gone for God to work in. And I just believe that we as His people really need to 
let that just sink into our being, begin to see the world around us in light of this. And when we read this, um, this um, passage, I think we can read it and, and it can sound like a fairy tale because we live in a place where um, not only are not all things redeemed and repaired, but it seems like most things are broken and being destroyed. So there's a discrepancy between what um, even the writer here is saying is possible and has been accomplished and is being accomplished through Jesus and what we often see. And I believe that's where um, it's imperative that we begin to get a vision for what God wants to do um, in our lives through his son. Um, You guys following me? So I want to talk about the renewed imagination, and I was thinking about where this should go in this series, and we're going to look at some specific areas in the coming weeks that I believe um, God has and is wanting to redeem, um, and ways that we can see that happen in our lives, ways we can encourage it and embrace it. And I was thinking about where to start, and I really believe there's no better place than to start with this, the redeemed imagination, and I think it um, really connects to a bigger picture here of um, what is God wanting to um, transform and shape us and through that transform and shape the world around us. And it starts with our thinking. Romans 12, 2, um, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so I want to talk about tonight the redeemed imagination. I believe it's directly um, a significant part of what it means for us to have our minds renewed. And the transformation that God wants to bring, it starts there, both for us and for the world around us. Um, So I've sort of already answered it, but um, I want to start with the question, um, does God invite us to dream or imagine? And if so... Uh, what should that look like? What role does the imagination play in redemption and in the life of one who would seek to enter into that? Um, and I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I think until recently, I never really thought of the imagination as having a vital um, part in my life with God. Even now, maybe some of you are like, I'm skeptical at best. Um, But I want to say, in fact, I believe more and more I'm starting to understand how vital the imagination is to what God wants to do um, in my life and through my life. Um, But yet, I think part of the way maybe I felt like that is that when you look at um, Scripture and you look at um, humanity in Scripture, you can start to feel like maybe God isn't so fond of this thing called the imagination. Um, Think back with me to the beginning, the garden um, God says, you have free reign, um, you can rule and multiply, and um, he had all this stuff available to them, and in that he said, there's one thing, though, that um, you're not supposed to touch, and that's um, this tree and the fruit on it, um, and if you do, you'll surely die, and, um, and in comes the, um, the serpent, and he says, did God really say? And in that, I imagine that Adam and Eve began to think, oh, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, and then he throws in this promise. Like, God didn't really say, in fact, if you eat of that tree, um, you will be like God. And you can see that maybe in their heads they began to process, oh, wow. 
Wouldn't that be amazing? And begin to dream, like, maybe God, in fact, is holding out from us, and there's a part of his goodness that we haven't yet experienced. And, in fact, there's more to this life than, um, than he's given to us, and so we're going to take it. And so uh, you can see in that moment that, that maybe Adam and Eve sort of um, got themselves into this place that was detrimental to all of humanity through their own imaginations. Um, think about... Israel at Mount Sinai, um, the nation, um, the people of God. And there they were. Um, Moses says, hang out here. I'll be back in a little bit. I'm going to go meet with God. And, and like five minutes later, they're like, we're bored. Let's, let's do something about that. Aaron, hey, Aaron, help us out here. We're bored. We, we want something to get, do. Where's Moses? He's been gone forever. And, and where's God? Um, he doesn't seem to be around. And so Aaron is like, Okay, um, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Okay, everybody give me all your gold. Just throw it in the power here. We're going to burn it, and we're going to make a bright, shiny, giant, golden cow. How about that? Wow, Aaron, that's what you came up with? That's what I'm thinking. Really? Really? And even better, Aaron's like, Moses comes down, and of course, God had already told him, like, hey, I'm ticked off at the people. And he's like, what are, you, what are you upset for? He's like, you don't know what they're doing right now. And then, and then Moses comes down, and he, he had tried to talk God out. He's like, hey, I'm sure it's not that bad. And he starts to come down the mountain. And uh, remember those tablets? Yeah, he was, he was ticked off. He's like, throws those things to the ground. And God's like, see what I was talking about? Yeah, the people. And then Aaron's like, Moses, I don't know what happened. When you left, people just got crazy, and I'm just standing here, and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, let's throw all this stuff into the middle and make a cow, which is not how it happened, right? So Moses is just like, or Aaron's just adding to it. Okay. Not cool, not cool. Um, perhaps the most evident of these moments is the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. And it says, it says that the people had this great idea. They said, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. That seems innocent enough. But then they go on to say, um, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower that reaches us to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. How do you think God felt about that? Have you guys read that story? Some of you? Okay, well, then you know how he felt about it. God wasn't too happy. This is, what, this is what the Lord says. It says that the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. It just seems like maybe when we start to use our, our um, imaginations that it gets us in trouble. That's what I, I kind of read from these passages that the imagination on its own, it's actually um, maybe working against the plans and purposes of God and that maybe God, more than being um, indifferent to it, in fact, is, um, is not particularly thrilled. <laughs> you guys follow me? Okay. Like I said, I, um, I kind of gave it away, but I think there's another side of it. And um, the thing is, reading these things, I think um, it's something we acknowledge is that we can use our minds, we can use 
our creativity. We can use our imaginations for self-serving purposes. We can use um, this thing that, in fact, God has given us, and we can begin to um, plot ways to uh, make our name known, ways to um, um, make ourselves fulfilled. Um, and, and so we see that all around, exploitation, in fact, through our imagination and further bro- brokenness as a result. But I want to give a picture of um, something else. And in fact, um, I want to say that, you know, when we see that, we can begin to think, well, maybe there's nothing good there. I think for a, a lot of different areas um, of what God himself is wanting to redeem, the church has, in fact, looked at it and seen it and said, maybe there's nothing good there. And I think we've done it with imagination. I, I, I think it grieves the heart of God that um, the church is not making art that is amazing. I think it grieves the heart of God that the church is not on the forefront in technology and these things and actually giving glory to God through it. I think it grieves the heart of God that Christian movies are so awful. That, that might just be my opinion. Maybe it grieves my heart. Okay, that one, it grieves my heart that Christian movies tend to be so bad. <sighs> Moving on. <sighs> and so we can look at these things and we can say maybe there's nothing there for us. But I think God is saying that is not the case. And I think um, part of the reason we see that is because um, the enemy has a really seductive and subtle plan. And he takes the best things of God and he says, you know what, I'm going to twist them and I'm going to distort them and I'm going to counterfeit them. And maybe in the process, God's people will think there is nothing for us there. He's done that with a lot of good things, a lot of things that God declared good. The enemy has come in and said, I'm going to counterfeit this, and I'm going to get God's people to think, in fact, that this is evil. Are you guys following me? He doesn't counterfeit $1 bills. He counterfeits $100 bills. That's, I mean, that's just a general principle. I never counterfeit money. But if I did, I wouldn't be counterfeiting ones. I'd be counterfeiting hundreds. And I think the imagination is one of those places. The fact that we don't even talk about it in church might be a good indication. So I want to talk about how, in fact, imagination is central to God's call in your life, central to you living a life of faith, and then some ways that that might look for us. I think it's one of the most powerful tools um, for God's people, and it's one of the most powerful tools in a life of faith. And I want to say, in fact, it's essential um, that your imagination be redeemed if you're going to live fully for God. Um, turn with me to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is about faith, but I'm going to um, show you in a minute how it's um, interestingly enough about imagination as well. Um, Hebrews 11.1, one, I'll just go ahead and read it if you're not there, just listen. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Fast forward, Hebrews 11.6, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everybody say, Impossible. Impossible. 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This sermon's not about faith, it's about imagination, but I want to say that faith and imagination are directly connected. In fact, I want to say that um, the redeemed imagination is the imagination that fuels faith. Redeemed imagination fuels faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I want to say that having your imagination redeemed is essential to living a life of faith with God. How are they connected? This is a definition for you of imagination. Imagination, the faculty or action of forming new ideas or images or concepts of external objects not present to the senses. Imagination is seeing things that aren't yet present. What is faith? Seeing things that aren't yet present. If you don't have a redeemed imagination, you can't walk out faith. You can't live a life of faith. I think it's important to God then that our imagination is being renewed. Imagination fuels the life of faith. Um, Turn with me to Romans 4. I want to talk about real quickly a few ways that that looks. Um, While you're turning there, I want to say that um, the redeemed imagination looks at a moment and In the midst of impossibility, the redeemed imagination sees possibility. It doesn't seem that hard, just remove the I and the M, but um, (laughs) we actually need a redeemed imagination to look at something that seems impossible and begin to see um, what could be possible with God. Romans 4. um, Romans 4 talks about Abraham who was given the name the father of faith. And it says in verse 3, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It goes on to say in verse 17, as it's written, I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. Pay attention to this part. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. If you walk with God, if you follow him, if you said yes to Jesus, you've said yes to the God that gives life to the dead and makes possible things that were not. <laughs> In fact, at the very core of our, of our faith is, is this crazy thing called the resurrection. <laughs> Do you realize how crazy that is? To believe. In fact, Paul said, if the resurrection never happened, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else. At the core of our faith is this um, declaration and belief that God has in fact raised from the dead, that what was dead didn't stay dead, and that from that, that all things are possible through him. That's at the core of our faith. Are you guys with me? Are you alive tonight? Okay, good. Hang in there. That's at the core of our faith. So um, 
If you believe already, hey, guess what? Actually, you've actually put the redeemed imagination into practice. I mean, this stuff is crazy. Which is why we walk by faith. And so did Abraham. He's kind of our forerunner in that. It goes on to say in verse 18, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, you shall, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's room was also dead. Abraham was old. He wasn't, he wasn't in denial. He wasn't pretending. It was pretty obvious his wife was old too. It says Abraham believed God. What did he believe God for? God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. There he was, almost 100. Hadn't happened yet. In fact, not only was he not the father of many nations, he didn't even have his own kids. Explain that one. (laughs) Staring at impossibility. And yet, for Abraham and for us, I believe the redeemed imagination, it starts with actually, um, it, it starts with hearing what God has said and is saying and feeding ourselves on that, feeding ourselves on that. You see, you, your imagination, you have one, everyone does. In fact, I want to say that the imagination that you have was put there by God when you were made in his image. Creativity was put there by God who in fact is very creative. You know how creative he is? He takes the things that look the most broken and he redeems them. He repairs them. He rescues them. That's what, that's what a really good artist, that takes a really good artist to do that. God is an amazing artist. He might be the best yet. And he put part of his image in you. And part of that was the ability to think, the ability to dream, the ability to look ahead and um, anticipate what could be. And so it's not if you have imagination or not, it's what are you doing with it. In our lives, I think that um, oftentimes, our, it's not that our imagination is not working, it's that our imagination is running rampant with things that undermine what God has said. So Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham, the father of faith, he he said, I know what things look like right now. They don't look very good. (laughs) And we've been trying to start a family. (laughs) Can you imagine that? (laughs) They didn't just say, okay, God, we believe you. They probably had to, you know, Abraham and Sarah. was like, take Sarah out on a date. Like, hey, I know. I know it's been a long time. Nothing's happened yet. But hey, come up next to me. I'm just using my imagination, people. It wasn't like God said, hey, you're going to have a family. And then, boom, it happened. Maybe that first part was the first miracle. All right, I'm, I'm off base here. But uh, I think it's pretty funny. It just occurred to me one day. I'm like, oh, how they started a family? Oh, that's right. They were still in love. (laughs) 
Okay. Um, so where were <laughs> I think in our lives, right? So Abraham, there he was. And Abraham, he used his imagination to say, you know what? Like, it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. And I don't think that was the only time. You know, God gives him a son. He gives him Isaac. And it's amazing. It's the beginning. It's the promise of God. And then he tells him, hey, I know what I said to you, but I want you to go up on the mountain and I want you to sacrifice the promise. And Abraham's standing at the bottom of the mountain and he's looking up and um, he tells his son, we're going to go make a sacrifice. And the son's pretty smart. Isaac, he's a smart guy. He's like, Dad, I don't see, I don't see, the, um, I don't see the sacrifice. Where is it? And here's, here's the creative, imaginative mind of Abraham at work. What does he say? God will provide. You didn't think of Abraham as, as being imaginative, did you? But in that moment, he makes a statement that is the redeemed imagination at work. He says, God will provide. And we're told that, in fact, Abraham believed that even if he did sacrifice his son that day, that God could raise him from the dead because that's who he is. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. In our lives, I believe our imaginations have actually been working overtime, but a lot of times they are working overtime to undermine the things of God undermine the promises of God. We have had things happen to us. Situations and circumstances have occurred that have perpetuated that. The unredeemed imagination fuels fear. If the redeemed imagination fuels faith, the unredeemed imagination fuels fear. It leads us to continue to think bad things are ahead instead of good things. It leads us based on the past to think that thing cannot change. Um, a lighthearted example, real quick, and we'll move forward. I know we're getting. Um, Mike, um, I didn't tell you I was going to share this story. Can I share our fishing story? Just say yes. All right, good. Um, I like to fish because I want to be like Jesus. He was a really good fisherman. Usually he was like over there. So I like to fish. Anybody else like to fish? couple. All right. Four of you. Good. That's about right. That's about what I expected percentage-wise. Maybe, maybe more. Maybe more. We'll have to go fishing sometime. Group, group fishing trip. So I really like to fish, and there's this place outside of the city called Lock Raven. And I... Um, I was, like, excited when I found out there was a place nearby that I could go to fish. Only problem is I started going to Lock Raven, and the first three, four, or five times I can't, I don't, I stopped counting. I didn't not only catch a fish, I didn't get a single bite. I rented a boat. Maria went with me. She slept in the boat while I was fishing, woke up. How, how's it going? Not a thing. <laughs> okay, I'll be taking a nap. Yep, that happened. It was hot. It was sunny. It was terrible. Um... So after like the fourth or fifth time, as you can imagine, I'm thinking there is nothing in this lake. Nothing in this lake except trees and grass because I was catching a lot of that. So then I go on the forum and realize all these people are talking about how great the fishing is there. And, you know, and they have pictures to prove it, so it must be real. And I'm thinking, 
oh, maybe the problem isn't the lake. Maybe the problem is me. You know, you had that moment. And so I had to come to terms with the fact that maybe I just was a bad fisherman. Another story completely. But then I was like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to catch a fish. <laughs> and eventually I did. And now it's, it's one of my favorite spots. And there's usually not a time, um, and, and just admitting to you humbly, there's usually not a time that I don't catch fish there now. So that's, yay, that was good. So one day I'm like, I'm going to take Mike with me. Mike, we're going to go Lock Raven. It's beautiful. We're going to go wade in the water, catch some fish. It's a perfect day. You can't beat it. And I, I promise you, we're going to catch some fish. I was really optimistic. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have made that promise in hindsight because we get out there and we're fishing and I start to see Mike's face. He's not smiling and I wasn't sure. I thought maybe he was concentrating. But then I, I, I start to hear him say like, maybe, maybe, hey, maybe we need to go over there. Maybe, maybe, what about that spot? And he's pointing like on the other side of the lake. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I know what's going on now. I was like, Mike, trust me, man. There's fish here. So we keep fishing and nothing. And I'm like, there's fish here. Just keep, just reel it in like this, you know. And, uh, and then I catch one. And I was so happy. I was like, see, Mike, there's fish. I told you, right? And then I, I let it go. And um, some of you are really happy about that. I let it go. And then a couple of minutes later, I catch another one. And I was like, Mike. There's fish here. And then, you know what Mike says? He says, you got the same one, man. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you got the same one. And in fact, I think he said something to the effect of, I think you got the only fish in this lake. <laughs> and I'm like, really, Mike? Is that where we're going with this? <laughs> really? Is that really easier to believe? That there's one fish in this entire lake then that you just might not be doing it right, or maybe they just don't like what you're selling them. Did you catch a fish? I don't remember. Have you caught one there? But, you know, all right, so I tell that story because I think that's how we are a lot of times with, with God, actually. Like, we have this wild imagination, and we begin to think, you know what? Like, I know God moves in other people's lives, but... Mm, Mine, not so much. Or um, I know God moves in amazing ways, but, but maybe it's just um, there's a scarcity to that. None of those things are true. We need to begin to let God redeem our thinking, redeem our imagination in a way where regardless of whether we catch fish in that moment, we're thinking, I am going to catch a fish. It is, it is in my destiny. It's my, I've been created for this. That's how I fish, and that's why I enjoy it so much. Even on a day where I don't catch anything, I'm like, it's what brings me back out there. I'm like, next time, we're going to catch fish. Mike's like, maybe I won't go next time. <laughs> I think we need to be that way with God. We need to begin to not let our experiences or lack thereof determine um, what we think and what we think about the future and what we think about our present situation and circumstances and that we would begin to let the word of God begin to let the promises of God be the thing that that we feed our imaginations on and in turn let that fuel our faith I want to I want to wrap up I do want to wrap up and um I want to wrap up by saying that 
the way the reason that's so important is because from there I believe that God he's 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 issued an invitation to all of us from that place begin to dream with him to begin to think things into re- reality into existence that aren't yet that is the amazing invitation that we get to be a part of it's why we're doing things like awake because i believe that um that god has that we want to take that seriously here and god has commissioned us he's called us in that way and i know it's going to take us together saying you know what i don't see it yet but i'm going to see it i don't even know what it looks like yet but let's begin to dream about what it might look like for his redemption to break through at our school for his redemption to break through in my music for his redemption to break through in my relationships with people for his redemption to break through wherever i am There's an invitation there, and we get to be a part of it. And in fact, most of the Christian life, I believe, is meant to be lived out of that place with us co-laboring with God, co-dreaming with God. And I think for far too long, we've, we've, um, even the church has sort of said, you know what, God's going to do what he wants. So wait for that. But I actually believe that God has said, no, I am doing what I want. And central to that is a people who have caught the vision for what it looks like to join me. Who have caught the vision to do the hard work to say, it's not right in front of me, but it will be. And I will begin to dream it into existence. I will begin to see it before it is. And I'm not talking about thinking happy thoughts. I'm talking about beginning to see what God has already said and beginning to say, based on that, we must see His redemption come. Based on that, we must see Baltimore changed. Based on that, we must see the arts rise up as this amazing force in the church. You guys with me? Anybody else want to go there? Go there together. If you can't tell, I really care about this. (laughs) I really do. And I know it's already happening. So I'm not saying this to you guys as in, um, get with it. Where have you been? (laughs) I'm saying this as like a rally cry. (laughs) And that we would each play a part in that. Um. I want to. I want to close, and I want to close with just thinking about the Lord's Prayer. This is one example where I think um, we see God's invitation, and we see a big, um, a big empty, uh, empty canvas. I don't know. That sounds really lame. But we see. How about this? We see an open field. Here's what I think. I think the church has often thought Christianity is about filling in the pages of a coloring book. Trying to make it neat. Picking the right colors. Coloring it in. And then being, God, what do you think? When in fact, I believe Christianity is more like an open field. And God's saying, I'm calling you to an adventure. I'm calling you to step out. I'm calling you to run into that field, run into the unknown with me. And along the way, 
to believe what I've said about who you are and about who I am. And along the way, begin to dream with me about what's ahead. Anticipate with me what's ahead. And begin to actually shape with me what's ahead. I think Christianity is more like that. You guys want to go there with me? Okay. I want to end with this, and we're going to take communion. I think Jesus was just like that. The life of Jesus, when he came down, really there wasn't the imagination enough to really house what Jesus was going to do, what God was going to do through the Son. And in fact, a lot of people had a really hard time imagining that this is what God could have looked like what God could have been doing. And that didn't stop him. Um, This quote from A.W. Tozer, in regards to Jesus and imagination, it says, When Christ came with his blazing spiritual penetration and his fine moral sensitivity, he appeared to the Pharisees to be a devotee of another kind of religion, which indeed he was if the world had only understood He could see the soul of the text while the Pharisee could only see the body. And they could always prove Christ wrong by an appeal to the letter of the law or to an interpretation hollowed by tradition. The breach between them was too great to permit them to coexist. So the Pharisees Pharisees who were in a position to do so had the young seer put to death. He goes on to say, the imagination, since it is a faculty of the natural mind, must necessarily suffer from its intrinsic limitations and from an inherent bent towards evil in a fallen world. But a purified and spirit-controlled imagination is, however, quite another thing. I long to see the imagination released from its prison and given to its proper place among the sons of the new creation. What I am trying to describe, and coincidentally, what I am trying to describe, is the sacred gift of seeing, the ability to peer beyond the veil and gaze with astonished wonder upon the beauties and mysteries of things holy and eternal. Let's pray.